the Reasoners will have a Fourth of July party. Is that right, Patrick? Yes. <laughs> so, what day is the fourth? Tuesday? Tuesday. So, we're leaving, but hey, parties are in order. So, okay. We're in chapter 15 of 1 Samuel this morning, and it's a, a well-known passage that we'll be looking at. But we read in the last verse of chapter 14 that there was fierce war between the Philistines all the days of King Saul. Then we see in verse 1 of chapter 15, we see God giving Saul a second chance, another opportunity to heed, to obey him. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 9. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant, nursing child, ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Malachites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Malachites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Sur, which is east of Egypt. He also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And they were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed. Samuel upon God's instructions, once again, he gives Saul the opportunity of obeying God. Heed the words of God, Saul. And we can never escape the fact that with great power comes great responsibility. God has openly declared, I will punish Amalek. I will utterly destroy them. Not only all the Amalekites, but I want you to kill all their animals too. Now that's wiping out a generation of people. Now, how many Americans would find fault with God for this harsh judgment? How many would second-guess God on this declaration? Well, let's narrow that down a little. How many people here? How many Christians 
would find fault with God for saying destroy all of the Amalekites, even their animals. And I can only say this, be very careful of your opinions of God and his ways, lest you find yourself opposing God. It's been said by uh, the Apostle Paul, we see through a glass darkly. In other words, we only see in part. We do not see the whole picture, nor do we see it clearly. We do not see that with God he has complete foreknowledge. Complete foreknowledge. He knows the beginning from the end. It says he sees us seated in the heavenlies. God knows the future better than we even know the past. And only God could say, destroy them completely, and it be a righteous, good thing. Destroy the Amalekites. And that's a good declaration. There have been world leaders that have come on the scene in the last, oh, 70, 80 years. Men like Stalin, Lenin, Hitler. These men, if they had been destroyed, assassinated, you might even say, it would have saved millions and millions of lives if these men would have been destroyed. And this is just three evil men. Yet they brought chaos upon the world, upon millions of people, and death and tyranny was the rule of the day in their lives. These men committed crimes against humanity, crimes of genocide. And who knows except God how many evil Amalekites were yet to be born if they survived. If God did not intervene, what would these Amalekites have become? The Amalekites, we know this about them, they were guilty of attacking Israel, their rear flanks, when they came out of Egypt into the wilderness. The Amalekites would not openly attack the entire army of Israel. They wouldn't attack the healthy soldiers, but they would attack the rear flanks. They would attack the sick, the lame, the elderly, who couldn't keep up with the rest of the people traveling. And so they would pick off uh, those that were lagging behind like sitting ducks. They would attack the the weak and so forth when you have a pack of wolves and they attack a herd of deer or elk or whatever they choose to attack they look for the very young or the very old that linger behind the amalekites were like wild wolves they would come and attack israel's rear flanks they were cowardly in their warfare. They were cowardly in their attacks upon Israel. And God says, I will punish them for this. God orders 
that all the Amalekites be wiped out. This totally evil tribe of people, and he says, even destroy their animals. But notice the Kenites who lived among the Amalekites, and they are told by King Saul, go depart, get out from among the Amalekites. And for once, Saul makes a, what appears to be a good decision. And the Kenites, they depart, they leave. So Saul was a man who considered his own decisions and his own opinions above the commands of God. Be careful when you think your reasoning is superior to God. Verse 9, it says Saul spared Agag. And the best of the sheep. He didn't kill all the good healthy sheep. He didn't kill the good oxen or the lambs. And he was unwilling to destroy the good spoils. What Saul and the people considered good, they spared. You may not know this, but I raise cows. That makes me a cowboy. You heard it first. <laughs> and I have a simple, basic philosophy. Keep unhealthy cows, perhaps diseased cows, out of my herd. I don't, I don't go and buy other cows and mix them in with my cows. I don't intermix unhealthy cows with my cows. I do not give my cows antibiotics. I don't give them growth hormones. Nothing artificial. I don't give them a penicillin shot when they're born just for their immune system. I try to give them clean, flowing water to drink. To me, that's important. Have you ever seen a cow stand in a pond that's stagnant? <laughs> Knowing they drink that water doesn't make me feel good. And I give them a little sweet feed. Now, I give them a little sweet feed to train them, to make them come when I want them to come. But God, he wants nothing of the Amalekites to remain. Nothing. Including their animals. To me... That is a total annihilation. He's wiping them out completely. God wants nothing of the Malachites around, but what does King Saul spare? Agag, their king. Probably the most evil man of all the Amalekites, Saul spares his life. Because Saul thinks he knows better. Let's look at verses 10 through 21. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. But Samuel said, 
What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet. Be quiet, king. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king of Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoils and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on this mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of the um, Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, in Gilgal. We'll stop right there. Samuel, he receives God's word that he says, I greatly regret that I set up Saul as king. Before chapter 15 is over, we will hear Samuel declare, God is not a man that he should repent or regret. So how do we reconcile that God regrets making Saul king? For me, it's fairly easy. There's times in Scripture where God's word is written for man's understanding. And I think this is one of those times. I firmly believe God regrets, if we can even say that, that he gave Israel the desire for a king, and that being Saul. I think God regrets that. Did God know Saul would be an unwise king? Yep. Were the people willing to wait for David? Nope. And here's the lesson for Israel and for believers today. Be careful what you pray for and crave. Your desires just might be of the flesh. God gave Israel a king, but back in early 1 Samuel, God told Samuel, the people have not rejected you, Samuel, but they have rejected me. God's feelings were hurt when Israel said, give us a king. God is emotional. He has feelings, and his feelings were hurt that they would ask for that. And I believe God's regret is for the people that they desire a king instead of him to rule over them. That, I think, is where God's regret comes in. Saul has been a bad example for all of Israel to witness, and anyone who reads Scripture can also see this. God's word to Samuel grieved him concerning Saul. So what does Samuel do? He cries out to God all night long. 
We can have many things that keep us from taking rest or that disturb our sleep. But are we troubled by the sin of disobedient leaders? The ones who are in authority over us. Are we troubled enough to cry out to God, even for a little while, much less all night? Samuel cared so much that he cried out to God all night because of Saul. Samuel was deeply troubled. And after a night in prayer, he discovers Saul has set up a monument for himself. And now we're not told what kind of monument this was, but Saul then finds Samuel, and Saul puts some Christianese language on Samuel. Blessed are you, Samuel of the Lord. Sounds good. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. You can almost hear Samuel say, speak up, Saul. I can't hear you for the bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen. you got to speak a little louder, Saul, because that you were destroyed is making too much noise. How does this cowboy relate to that? Thought you would ask. I recently weaned a mama cow and her calf. I separated them a little over two weeks, about 15 or 16 days. Supposed to be enough time. But after two weeks of separation from this mama calf and this cow and this baby calf, uh, the calf began to nurse again. This really irritated me. <laughs> the, time, the next time, I pinned up the mama. And for three weeks, she gave new meaning to the term lowing and bellering every day. It was This mama cow was so bad that Lori said to me, why don't you let them get back together? I looked at her and I said, it's not going to happen, woman. That mother cow, who is pregnant, needs that brief time of not nursing before she has another cow or calf. So I'm not going to let them be back together. It's for her own good. And Saul makes excuses to Samuel. He says, the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen so that we could sacrifice to the Lord your God. And he calls God Samuel's God, your God. Samuel heard enough, and he said, be quiet. Just be quiet, king, and I'll tell you what the Lord said. Saul goes, okay, go ahead. <laughs> and when you were small and, tr and humble in your own eyes, the Lord anointed you king over Israel. Now God has sent you on a mission, a mission for himself. Go and utterly destroy these sinful Amalekites. So Saul, why did you not obey God? Why did you take the good spoils for yourself? And we see the character of Saul now come forth. 
But I have obeyed the Lord on this mission. It wasn't me, Samuel, that kept back the spoils. It was the people who plundered the best of the sheep and oxen. <clears throat> I only brought back Agag, their king. But the people of Amalek I destroyed. Agag, the Amalekite king, was the worst, most evil person in all of Amalek. And Saul has spared him. <clears throat> then we have two verses that I'll kind of close with here. And Samuel lays out a principle of God. Verse 22 and 23. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than, to, than the fat of rams. For, the re, for rebellion is the sin of wish, witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. <clears throat> Note it's better to obey than sacrifice or, put it in our terminology, worship. It's better to be obedient to God than to give him worship. Jesus told us, he said, if you love me, obey me. There is a great emphasis put on worship in today's Christian churches. And I'm for pure worship. I love to worship the Lord as well as you do. I try to work closely with Mike and the worship team. Mike has a heart for worship, and I certainly appreciate that. But Mike will hear me say things like this. Mike, you worship the Lord along with your team, and the people will follow. You worship, they will come along. Mike and his team, they cannot be the Holy Spirit. And I don't want him to try to be the Holy Spirit. Mike, when your team simply worships, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And us with a pure heart before the Lord, we will follow worship because we want to worship. Samuel, he has just rebuked Saul and his attempts to sacrifice. Why do you try to sacrifice Saul? Why do you try to worship when you're being disobedient? One of the best words of advice I ever received about being a pastor and giving a sermon was this. Don, preach to the motivated. Simple, simple word. Preach to those that love the Lord and want to serve the Lord. They're the ones that will hear you. All I want our worship team to do is worship from a pure heart.
That's all I want them to do. That will draw the rest of us into worship. Just worship God. I cannot be the Holy Spirit. The worship team cannot be the Holy Spirit. But we can do this. We can encourage each other to be obedient unto God. Obedience is the way we show our love to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now.